This is SMDC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 20 of The High Ground, U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command's official podcast. I'm Ronald Bailey, a.k.a. Beetle. It's December 2023, and we're excited to bring you an episode we've actually been sitting on for a while now. We originally recorded and produced this episode in March and April. At the time, we all thought our honored guest would be retiring the following month. Fast forward to December and lifting of the congressional holds, we now bring this to you not only as a commemoration of his retirement, but also as a tribute to his fourth anniversary as our commanding general. Back in March, Lyra Fry, SMDC's Director of Public Affairs, had the opportunity to engage with Lieutenant General Daniel Karbler, SMDC's Commanding General, the Army's Senior Air Defense Officer, and Commander of U.S. Strategic Command's Joint Functional Component Command for Integrated Missile Defense. In the time between then and now, a few of our command's missions have changed or transferred. And SMDC doesn't just lead the Army in the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey's Employee Engagement Index. We're now actually the number one Army command, according to the best places to work in the federal government rankings. Regardless, the bulk of what General Karbler talked about that day is as true and timeless as it ever will be. When we interviewed him that day in late March, he seemed a little more stoic and retrospective than usual. Perhaps some of that was influenced by what he thought was his impending retirement in a few weeks. Maybe it was just a little late in the day. Either way, we got to hear a number of interesting stories, some of which we'd never heard to that point. To begin, Lyra will guide us through his early developmental years as a youth through some three and a half decades of service, many of which closely paralleled the development and combat deployment of the Patriot Air Defense System his first and long-term exposure to the Army Space Enterprise, and some key moments, both serious and some not so serious. In the end, he'll offer some great perspective in the hope that all of us can learn from his experience to move the needle forward on the world's greatest combat force. Whether you're a part of SMDC, the Army, or simply found us on the web, you won't want to miss out on this rare opportunity. Lieutenant General Daniel L. Karbler, Commanding General, U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command, and Commander Joint Functional Component Command for Integrated Missile Defense, will be retiring this month, capping a 36-year career with the United States Army. He's the command's highest-ranking officer, the Army's Senior Air Defender, and leads the Army's Service Component Command to both U.S. Space Command and U.S. Strategic Command while also supporting U.S. Northern Command in defense of the homeland against the threat of intercontinental ballistic missiles. Long before that, back in the 1970s and 80s, young Dan Karbler's life growing up in a number of places, much like a military family, wasn't necessarily one that would indicate what his career would eventually become. He talks about that environment and the influences that helped form his character and values. Yeah, we moved to Wisconsin when I was in fifth grade. Prior to living in Wisconsin, we actually moved around quite a bit. 
We weren't in the military. My dad was a salesman and just had different jobs. So I was born in Ohio, so we lived in Ohio for a little bit. Then we moved to Michigan for a couple of years. And then New Jersey for one year. That's where I did kindergarten for half a year. Then we moved back to Michigan. And I remember doing the second half of kindergarten in Michigan with a brand new class. And kindergartners are just as tough as you, tough on you as high schoolers might be. And then we stayed in Michigan for about five years, and then we moved in the middle of fifth grade, so again, another middle of the school year move. And that's when we moved to Heartland, Wisconsin, which uh, I call Wisconsin my home now. Formative years there, we grew up out in the country, so if you wanted to go anywhere, you had to ride your bike a long way to get into the town or to get to school. My two older sisters and one younger sister, we all figured out, you know, how to entertain ourselves since we were away, you know, far away from friends and far away from school. The best thing that ever happened was when my sisters got their driver's license and then we were able to drive into school events versus riding our bikes. And my dad had a famous saying, bike it. Whenever we had to get somewhere, he would just say, bike it. Had a you know, great influence of, from my parents. Uh, my dad would coach our baseball teams, and then my mom was very active in school. We were active in church growing up. And then once I got to high school, you know, those influencers in, of, uh, in your high school years of teachers and coaches, the band director, uh, my music teacher, my choir teacher, who to this day remains a very, very close friend, uh, Mr. Dennis Brooks. Uh, and then again, the influence of the coaches and, uh, and teachers just they, they really were the ones that helped formulate who I am today. Being the third of four siblings and the only boy led to some interesting family dynamics. I still remember the day I could finally beat up my two older sisters. Um, they picked on me a lot, which is, I think that's what all brothers and sisters do. But the day I finally, we were wrestling, I finally beat the both of them. I can still remember feeling very victorious then. Uh, but they were, they were great role models. I tried to be a good role model for my younger sister. I would terrify their dates whenever they brought them over to the house as the little brother. That was usually pretty interesting and I, I found great humor in it if my sisters didn't. Uh, but some of their friends, we, we all became uh, friends and again to this day I remain friends with uh, my sister's friends as well. But yeah, not having, a, not having a brother to grow up with so I had to go find, you know, ride my bike, I had to go bike it and go find uh, my buddies to go play baseball or basketball or football with in town. General Karbler's first exposure to the Army was through one of America's most respected educational and military institutions, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. And although that was almost 40 years ago, his connection with that institution and his classmates remained strong. West Point classmates, it's really not an overstatement at all to say that you make friends for life when you go to West Point. You, you endure those four years of hardships, everything from beast barracks all the way up through graduation. Uh, you make those friends and we just did our 35th class reunion in Dallas last November and those friendships doesn't matter if you hadn't talked to somebody for a couple of months or a couple of years or five years you just fall right back into your friendships and sharing those stories of your West Point days and then catching up on what kids are doing and jobs or what you know whatever whatever else that we're working on but that shared hardship creates a a certain level of camaraderie that I just don't think you find anywhere else. 
those ties back to West Point are really important. And then I'm fortunate because both my daughter graduated from West Point in 2020, and then my son is on track, God willing, to graduate in 2024 from West Point. So I'm able to keep those ties with West Point really, really strong, thanks to my kids. But again, the time at West Point, you know, teaches you discipline, uh, the instructors there, your TAC officers, they became really your first mentors that you have to look up to about trying to learn about Army life and what life is like outside of West Point, what life's like in the real Army. A newly minted air defense artillery officer, 2nd Lieutenant Dan Carbler began his career assigned to the Army's newest ADA system, the Patriot. Patriot was the first digital battlefield weapon system, and I remember as a cadet seeing the Patriot system at Fort Knox, walking into the van. Now it's not what Patriot is today, it's very simple, but it was digital. I remember seeing the aircraft on the radar scope and seeing what the missiles could do, and I thought, well, this is, this is pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie, the fact that the van was air-conditioned and you drove to the field is, you know, that, that's a, it's a benefit. But seriously, when I saw the digitization that was taking place and what Patriot was able to do, it was very cool. I really enjoyed talking with the NCOs. I can remember talking with the NCOs as a cadet and super, super smart and talented. And we find that, you know, still today within the Air Defense Force, our, uh, the NCOs and soldiers are, are super talented and they know their weapon system very well. They know the technical side of it as well as the tactical side. And that is just Patriot and the soldiers and the NCOs and the officers, they have all continued to evolve. So as the technology gets better, as the missiles get better, the radar gets better, our soldiers, our training, all have gotten better throughout the last really 36 years of the evolution of Patriot. But the Patriot of today is vastly different from the Patriot of 1987. The now famous Patriot's combat capability was not particularly well known outside the Army in its early years. Operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm would soon make Patriot a household name around the world. So Patriot's performance during the Gulf War put Patriot on the front page. Nobody really had a good appreciation for what Patriot could do until we saw how it performed during Desert Storm. And that was where I became hooked on Patriot and hooked on staying in the Army because watching Patriot operate in combat operations in Israel and defending Tel Aviv and Haifa and other assets around Israel. I was amazed at the strategic importance that Patriot played, as well as the performance of the weapon system itself. And then I was privileged to be able to work with then Colonel Dave Hebner, now retired Lieutenant General Dave Hebner, who was the Task Force Patriot Defender Commander, being able to be his right-hand man for Patriot, going up to brief the Israeli Minister of Defense, doing after-action reports after every engagement that we had there in Israel, and then working with our Israeli counterparts. Very, very powerful for a first lieutenant. I had the opportunity to be able to brief senators Warner, Nunn, Inouye, and Stevens when they came to visit Israel, and I was just supposed to be flipping slides for Colonel Hebner's briefing, and then they wanted to talk to a Patriot operator, and so Colonel Hebner put me on the spot and was able to answer the senator's questions. And But again, watching the Patriot performance, watching its strategic importance, really got me hooked on the Patriot weapon system. A three-decade-long career was not necessarily on General Carbler's mind in the early days of his career. 
we asked him what influenced his decision to stay. I think just about every cadet when they graduate West Point thinks that they're just gonna put their five years in and get out. And, and so I was getting close to that five years once uh, Desert Storm hit. Again, I got to see the business end of Patriot in combat. I was hooked and then taking battery command and being in charge of 100 soldiers was a really awesome experience and I just didn't look back then. I just said, you yeah, know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay in the Army as long as what I do is enjoyable and the people that I'm working with are great people to work with and I found both to be true for 36 years. Although he spent the last three years commanding the Army's proponent organization for space, the space domain is something General Carbler really only had exposure to, like many in his generation, later in his career. He highlights that first experience and how space capabilities have grown to become one of the most critical elements of Army operations worldwide. Didn't happen, frankly, until I was commanding out of the 94th AAMDC out in Hawaii as a one-star. Then understanding the Tippy 2 radars and what these sensors did, not just for missile defense, but for space domain awareness, what our JTAGs detachments did in terms of missile early warning, that's where I really, really got a good appreciation for it. And I was helped a lot by General Formica at the time, who was the SMDC commander when I was out at 94th. He did a great deal of teaching, coaching, and mentoring me as a one-star on what space brought to the missile defense fight. Yeah, it made me aware that space is a valuable contributor to not just Army missions, but joint missions. And space, much like missile defense, is a strategic contributor, just like a Patriot battery is a strategic asset providing defense of entire countries, well, space is a strategic asset that provides capabilities to entire theaters when you think about Tippy 2 radars do in terms of space domain awareness or what our JTAGs, theater warning, theater missile warning companies do in terms of providing theater-wide missile warning. We all saw that in the January of 2020 attacks of Iran into Iraq, 16 ballistic missiles that got fired into Iraq. The JTAGs early warning were the ones that were able to provide that missile warning so soldiers could take cover and we suffered no deaths out of that attack. In parallel to the change in how the Army's use of space evolved over time, Carbler talks about his view of how the Army as a whole changed since the late 1980s. Well, we've got better food in the field, so we went from sea rats to uh, MREs, so that's pretty broad. Good food's always a good change. I remember when we were cadets and we had, we had sea rats and the first time they brought out MREs and they were kind of testing them out on the cadets and I mean it was like manna from heaven having an MRE versus a sea rat and those that remember the sea rat days seemed like no matter how hard you tried you got the scrambled eggs the green scrambled eggs with ham and they were just terrible and the John Wayne bars that you couldn't pry them apart with so you just ate the wax paper in between them anyways and then we got MREs that was delicious. The Army's changed in a lot of different ways. Uniforms have changed a bunch of times. Went from the banana PT suits to the gray PT suits to the black and gray PT suits, now to the all-black uh, PT suits, which, which I'm, a, I'm a fan of those. Maybe we can just stop changing our PT suits. The threat has really changed from 1987, where it was very singularly focused. Everything we did was focused on countering and defeating the Soviet Union. I was in Germany for my first two assignments, so for about seven and a half years, over in Germany, and our threat was the Soviet Union until the wall came down. Because the Soviet Union was our singular adversary, and we focused all of our resources and energy on that, all of our planning on that, it was real 
centralized purpose and task and frankly made it a little bit easier than today where we have to face multiple adversaries with increasing capabilities, much, much more complex and challenging environment for the Army to operate today than what we faced in 1987. Next, we asked him how he felt the Army had changed over the years from a cultural perspective. We've changed a lot of different ways culturally. First off, more accepting of females. As a 1987 grad, we still had upperclassmen who had been at West Point when you know the first class of females had come in. And frankly, there still wasn't a lot of toleration for females at West Point back in 1983 when, when we started out versus today now where hey, females are in combat arms. In air defense, we've had female two-star, female brigade commanders and battalion commanders. So I'd say that's a big, cult, huge cultural change is giving women the opportunities to serve on, in any branch that they want to uh, within the Army again. Not the case back in 1983. I think that with the advent of technology and the onslaught of technology has made us change our culture in terms of really policing ourselves up better and not being that person who gets put on social media or you know says some things that, that, that they're not supposed to talk about. Some soldiers still haven't got the message yet and they still put stuff on social media that make you scratch your head, but that's why I think there's a WTF moments is out there and they do a good job of capturing all that. But again, that's, that's part of the cultural shift is if, of what technology has brought on where you're seeing things that you frankly never would have seen 36 years ago. Reflecting more personally, we talked with General Carbler about what in the last 36 years filled him with the most pride. With such a long and storied career, you can imagine the difficulty deciding, but a few things rose to the top. You know, it's always about the team. I take pride in everything that my organizations have accomplished, small things, big things. Here at SNBC, I'm super proud of the fact that we're the number one Army command in Redstone Arsenal, and we're the you know, number two out of all Army commands in terms of employee engagement. So I'm, I'm super proud of that in the here and now. Growing up over the years, I guess I could look back at bringing the air defense artillery to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and having a unique perch, observing and being a part of that transformation, first as a brigade commander at Fort Sill and moving the 31st Brigade from Fort Bliss up to Fort Sill and then being the chief of staff at Fort Sill as first air defender as, as a chief of staff at Fort Sill and then watching the, the branch grow and establish itself at Fort Sill and then as the 88 Commandant continuing to grow the branch and again, all, all great teamwork, uh, great efforts by the Air Defense Branch and, and the selflessness of officers and NCOs who volunteered to want to come to Fort Sill when some viewed it as a not attractive assignment. We also asked him about any events that stood out in his mind. Not so much the major events of his career, but the type of things with a wow factor. The type of story he might start by saying, so there I was. Bowl of 300 game in front of 42nd lieutenants when I was an ADA Commandant, that was pretty cool. That doesn't happen every day. <laughs> Some of the opportunities, you know, as the SMDC commander, getting to, getting to be the boss of the three Army astronauts and meeting them, and uh, looking forward to Frank Rubio coming back here this fall, but getting to talk to our astronauts and seeing, you know, the outside strategic impact that those uh, astronauts have on the Army is, is incredible. You know, just being able to serve with officers, NCOs, and civilians is such a privilege, and hopefully leading them right, leading the organizations the right way, in a way that makes them proud of their organization. That's a cool moment for me. It's been said that one often learns more from their failures than their successes. 
We asked General Carbler if there was something that strongly challenged him as a general officer or a commander. Every year we have to do a budget drill. <laughs> I feel feel very challenged to maintain my composure and because you know you see what the threat is doing out there, what our adversaries are doing, what missions we're being given, and yet you still you still aren't resourced to do it. So trying very hard to take all that in context, bring the team along, accomplish missions as best you can, frankly make risk informed decisions on things that you're just not going to do, hopefully get that right. Um, but yeah, so sometimes I might let my frustration level boil over a little bit. I try not to, to do that, but, but sometimes it happens. Then we asked him to tell on himself a bit and share about his early career experiences. Something that at the time wasn't a shining moment, but that he now looks back on as a character-building experience. Oh, you want me to talk about when I screwed up? Well, that's easy. Yeah, budget challenges. Are, yeah, we can talk about that all the time. Oh, where I screwed up? Sure, we can talk about that. You want to start from lieutenant days when I uh, put, <laughs> I put our Patriot batteries launchers out in the farmer's field, and then he used liquid manure all over them because he had to fertilize his fields, and all of our launchers got liquid manure on them. That, they, everybody was pretty happy with me on that one. Or the time I set the radar up in the in the wood line, it was beautiful, beautiful emplacement for the Patriot radar and the engagement control station and our antenna mass group. And you always try to set it up in the wood line or against the wood line so it breaks up the outline. Well, I kind of forgot that the radar, once it lifts up, it elevates itself to about 23 feet. And there was tree limbs in the way. And those days you had to have a survey team that laid in the radar and there was only one survey team for the whole battalion. So we couldn't move the radar. And the battalion commander chose our battery to watch in place. So as the radar came in there and they raised the radar up and there was the radar antenna hitting the tree limbs. And I thought, oh my gosh. So, so I just took it upon myself to climb up the tree and I was gonna saw the tree limb off, which is not something you do in Germany because the Forstmeister just happened to be there and he saw me going up there about to saw the tree limb off. Battalion commander, uh, he spoke German. He talked to the Forstmeister you know, what was going on, told me to get the heck down off the tree and I wasn't going to saw any tree limbs down. Um, mind you, this I'm the same guy that put the launchers in the field that got liquid manure sprayed on them, so about this time the battery's not too happy with me. So that's, uh, that's lieutenant stuff for you. I have made classic errors of challenging leaders when I didn't need to, you know, just because I was right and, was, and not, I knew I was right and probably just needed to shut up and just move out and not act like a know-it-all. That, that probably happened on occasion. No, not probably, it, it happened on occasion and um, should have picked a better venue to, to take on leaders than a public forum, like a quarterly training brief or a semi-annual training brief. Yeah, my mouth, my mouth would get me in trouble uh, once in a while as a youngster. And I, I learned from those experiences though and now, now I'm not nearly as, uh, quick to pop off as I might have been back in the past. We asked General Carbler if he could travel back in time to meet second or first Lieutenant Dan Carbler. What would he tell him? Mary, the same woman that you meet at the Bitburg Officers Club. Don't, don't screw that one up. The Packers are only going to win one Super Bowl. It'll be 1996. <laughs> he would say, be humble, be empathetic, be an expert in your craft, get along with people, use common sense, stay approachable, stay in the Army. If you think that it's getting bad, stay in the Army, 
The sun always rises the next day. You'll be all right. Whether a soldier leaves at the end of their contract or commission or makes it to retirement, each knows that that last day in uniform is coming. Now, as he comes to the end of his military service, we asked General Carbler what he thought he would miss the most. The people. I say that quickly, but because it's, I'm an extrovert. I know folks listening to this podcast might find that hard to believe, but being an extrovert, being around people, that's what fills your tank up. That's what gives you energy. That's what makes you motivated to come to work every day. And during the first parts of COVID, when we were all locked up at home and couldn't come in, I was, you know, Teams just doesn't quite hack it. And some might remember my public service announcement where I had the tomato plants in the background and I, I named each of the tomato plants after my, after the personal front office staff, because uh, I missed everybody. and, and and um, so I, I will miss the people. I, I will miss watching them succeed, knowing that hopefully I had a little part in the success of, of somebody. As we finished our discussion, we asked General Carbler if he had any final message, one last shout out for the soldiers and civilians across the Space and Missile Defense Command's global enterprise. It has been an awesome privilege being part of the SMDC team and being a member of the SMDC family. Thank you for accepting me. Thanks for accepting my leadership style. Thanks for allowing me to empower you to move out with the missions. Uh, you have given me every reason in the world to trust you. You have given me every reason in the world to support you and back you. Whatever program, project, mission that you're working on, everybody at SMDC, without fail, is an expert and a professional in what they do. I, I have never worked with a more talented staff than the team that I have at SMDC and at JIFIC IMD. And that's, that's saying a lot because I've worked with some very talented staff, but, but at, the, at this three-star level, you are a five-star staff. From all of us here at the High Ground Studio and SMDC soldiers and civilians across the globe, we want to thank Lieutenant General Carbler for his leadership, for sharing his experiences with us, and for his more than three decades of dedicated service to the Army and the nation. To learn more about SMDC's exciting missions, units, and people across the world, check out our social media or webpage at www.smdc.army.mil. For the High Ground Studio at Redstone Arsenal, I'm Lyra Fry.